Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. He knew his time was coming to an end. It was coming up. And he he pulled his son close to him so to make sure he can hear. My son, promise me, promise me that you will not bury me in Egypt. But when it's my time to rest with my fathers before me, promise that you will carry me to where my forefathers are buried. I will, Father. No, swear to me that you will do just this. And so Joseph grabs the hand of his father, Jacob, and says, Father, I will do as you say. Jacob then tells Joseph to go and grab his two sons and to bring them here. And when they get into the room, Jacob hugs the two boys and then he proceeds to officially adopt them into the family. As you see, they were born Egyptian due to Joseph being sold into slavery some time ago. He then proceeds to bless each of the boys. And he sends them on their way. And looking at Joseph, he asks him to call for the rest of his brothers to join him at his bedside. And so all 12 sons came to be with their father. As is custom in Jewish culture, The patriarch will now give his final blessings, curses, or warnings to those that he's leaving behind. This, however, on this particular moment around the bed, seemed a little different than the traditional blessings handed down for just one generation. It seemed much more was on the line. I think they could feel the the tension in the room even. That something much deeper than just their one generation. The next words that are spoken by Jacob will be heard by all 12 sons and every generation still to this day. It will become the longest poem in the book of Genesis. And given the title, The Blessing, of Jacob. The words he spoke were not only for his 12 sons on that particular day, but for the entire nation that will come after them. Jacob is the name that his sons called him, but throughout the land he was known as Israel. And his 12 sons are the leaders of a nation, of the nation's newly developed tribes. And Jacob Here around the bed went one by one, each of his sons, blessing, cursing, or warning each of them, all 12 tribes. And then 
It came to give the birthright. It was time to hand it out. The birthright is always given to the oldest son unless he has died or has dishonored the family. But the decision is ultimately always up to the father who gets the birthrights. And receiving the birthright means that you receive a double portion of everything. It means that you are now the head of your family. It means that you are the now designated leader of you and yours. And when it came time to pronounce the birthright passed down from Israel to one of his sons, Jacob invites his fourth-born son to step forward. And he proceeds to give Judah the birthright. For the first three sons were not worthy. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Your house, O Judah, will be that of a lion. Let's pray. Father, we pray in this moment for your word jumping off the pages of the Bible. God, we pray for clarity and understanding as we dive through, as we look at each of these things, Father. That none of us, me and myself included, we don't want to just go through the scripture and not have anything to take away or to walk out with, Lord. But we pray for something, anything to jump off and, Lord, for your word to do something in us. God, I pray here at the beginning of this new year that as I preach, as, I, as I've studied, as I've learned, Lord, I pray that everything I say is only the gospel truth, only your truth, Lord. And if I say anything that isn't of that, then correct me here on the spot. Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. I believe half of you. Yes, this is good. And it takes a minute, doesn't it, to get back into the groove of things. It, it does. And for, you know, may, maybe you've been out for just a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. But I'm going to tell you that for whatever it is, that, that week between Christmas and New Year, I call that the most unproductive week of the year. I mean, I don't even know why it's on the calendar. We should just skip it, right? But it, it's just it's like the week where we all take a moment, take a deep breath, and we have some downtime. And I want to say I know... Um, for, for me, especially, it's really good to see you all on this side of Christmas. And so now we're here in January looking forward to the new year, 2023. I will tell you, I have missed preaching. I have missed being here uh, and spending my time as I, as I would, it, it, you know, studying and learning. Uh, but Christmas, our duty in Christmas matters. It does make a difference in a lot of people's lives. And so now with that behind us, I'm excited to be back here. And I hope that for those of you who traveled, everything went smooth. I'm hoping if you were on Southwest, maybe that got figured out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's good to see. I know you're here. And for those online joining us right now, we're, we're excited to have you. 
as a part of our family and congregation joining us as we dive into the new word here. Now, I thought that we would uh, start this new year by just simply looking at Psalms chapter 1, or Psalms 1, I should say. There's only six verses, but I thought we would just, just look into Psalms 1. Now, this here is not a very long psalm. Uh, only six verses in nature, as I said, uh, but it's full. This particular psalm is full of wisdom and theology. It's written, it's all over these verses. Now, the book of Psalms, the actual book itself, the book of Psalms, is a very interesting book. You see, it really isn't a history book. It's not a law book or a, or a book of prophecy per se, it's a collection of collections. That's what it is. The name, actually, psalm in Greek means song or hymn. And in Hebrew, it means praise. It was the original hymnal of the church. This is where we went to to get our songs. Now, we often contribute David as the author of psalms. And though that's true for most of them. He wrote 73 out of the 150 of them. There are actually six other identified authors throughout the Psalms. And out of the 150 of them, 47 of them are anonymous with no declared author at all. The book of Psalms is also the longest book in the Bible containing both the longest and the shortest chapters in all of Scripture. It is also the most quoted Old Testament book throughout the entire New Testament. You heard that right. It is the most quoted Old Testament book in the entire New Testament. Now, you might think, that it would be the Torah or perhaps maybe one of the prophets that they would bring up over and over again. But no, it's the book of Psalms that is often quoted. Now, I have to think, I have to believe that this is because humanity expresses itself through songs, through poems, through hymns. I think this is something that, that we just lean toward when we want to express ourselves as some artistic thing. It captures the emotions that we're, that we're feeling at that moment in time. And when it's read and sung correctly, it allows us, the, the, the participants, to feel what the author was feeling when it was written. Oftentimes, many times, it's what we turn to when we just can't find the words. There it is. Jesus was no different. When experiencing the worst pain in his life, hanging from a tree that Roman soldiers nailed his, his hands and his feet to, the pain of dislocated shoulders, the pain of a spear in his side, the pain of thorns on his head, the pain of being rejected by the very ones that he came to save. It wasn't the laws it wasn't the history or even the prophets that he turned to on the cross. No. It was a song. Eloi, Eloi, 
Lama Shabani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. The Psalms are living and breathing truths and wisdoms captured moments in time that can be called upon over and over again from the time they were written until the time they're not needed anymore. It's an easy way just by going through the Psalms, an easy way to put praise on your tongue by just reading and saying them out loud. Or it's an even an easy way to release mourning from your heart when you just don't know where to go. Now, the final formation of the book of Psalms, as we know it today, the way it's structured, the way it's pieced together, was actually, wasn't really finalized until the first century. And then it was divided into five sections, the book of Psalms was. And they did that intentionally to mimic the five books of the Torah. They wanted that to have that same structure. Now, so when putting a collection like this together, when, when, when putting all these psalms and spending all this time and, and, and you know, in what orders and what way, when you're, when you're doing this, where do you start? Where do you put the first one? Where do you start when this moment here? Well, I like to think after reading it is that when they were piecing it together is that they wanted to start the book of Psalms with the truth. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like, like chafe that the wind blows around Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgments, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalms starts from the very beginning with a clear definition of righteousness and wickedness from the top, from the beginning. The psalm is divided right there in two sections. The first section speaks on the righteous and what that looks like. But the second section speaking on the wicked and what that looks like. And so right out of the gate, right out of the very beginning, is that the book of Psalms is showing us, showing you, showing me, that there is a choice to be made. There has to be a choice that each of us individually must choose either the path of righteousness or a path of wickedness. And no choice is a choice. For our flesh will always default to wickedness when left on its own, according to Romans chapter 3. 
So the psalmist here starts with the word blessed. Now the word here, used in this particular way in Psalms 1, is not the way that we use it. It's not a brand on one of our t-shirts or our response that we give when someone asks, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed. Now the Hebrew word for blessed refers to a person who has deep joy and contentment. Deep joy and contentment. Now how many of us would like to experience a little life of, of deep joy and contentment. I think all of us would raise our hands for that. I would raise my hand for that. To experience a fullness of life that can be described or explained as, as deep joy. How are you doing today? I'm filled with deep joy and contentment. I mean, I would love to answer that way. The psalm says that you can actually have a life that way. That it actually can be done. Now it says to achieve this, in order for this to happen, that you must remove yourself from the counsel of the wicked. That you have to remove yourself from the influence of the wicked. Now what does that mean? What does that mean to remove yourself? from? It means making a choice. It means overcoming, overcoming your flesh and choosing the path of righteousness. It means removing the world and all of the evil influences that it has on all of us from our inner circle. From our inner circle. Wait, 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 wait. But Captain, but Captain, how do I show the love of Christ to the world if I'm cutting it off? If I'm removing it completely, how do I show the love of Christ? How do we, how do we show who Christ is? That is actually a really good question. See, it is the world that we're after, isn't it? The world that we want to actually show the love of Christ to. We're called, it is actually a, a mandate for believers to do so. But there is a difference between you showing the world and the world showing you. The depths of our hearts, of our minds, and our souls must be reserved for Christ alone. There is no place for the world, for, 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 the, for, the, for the world itself to be in any of those areas. We can't even give an inch. For the smallest of sins that enter any of those areas will turn into a cancer. But instead, it says, but instead, we should take delight in the laws of our Lord. Well, delight in laws? Laws mean no fun. That's what it means, right? It, 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 how do you take delight in the laws of the Lord? And then on top of that, it says to, to meditate on them day and night. We are to, to delight in them, and then we're to meditate on them. Well, well, Captain, does that, does that mean that I need to memorize all of those laws in the Bible? That I have to go in and actually know what they all say? What they, here, here, my, no. You see, this psalm, Psalm 1, right here, was written at a time when there was only one covenant. There was only one. The covenant given to Moses through the laws. 
That was, that was the only thing they had. And it, and it was enough. It was enough to prove that a God who created the world loved his people. It was a sign of God's love to a nation. However, these laws, the laws that are mentioned right here in Psalm chapter 1, they have been fulfilled. They've been fulfilled. They were fulfilled through the life, ministry, and death of Jesus Christ, giving us, you and me, a new covenant. So now, when we read Psalm 1, you and I, we take delight in the Messiah, who is the law. And we meditate on him day and night. For he, for Jesus, will always take you on the path of righteousness. No chaos, no confusion. Meditating on him will always bring clarity and direction. There is a reason why that you have never seen the righteous wandering as if they're lost. Because like verse 3 says, the righteous are like a tree planted by streams that produce fruit and never loses their leaves out of season. You see, the scripture says that whatever these guys do, whatever the righteous does, it says right here that whatever they do, it will prosper. That it will prosper. That they can bring life back into something that was almost dead. That you and I, that, that we may see something and may think, well, that's dead or it's dying. But then all of a sudden, there's been new life, new growth. That, that, that there's been new vision. All, when they showed up, it came back to life. And so, so how can you tell? How do you know when it is actually truly God's prosperity in that moment? How do you know when it's really from heaven, from the Lord above, in this moment of prosperity? Well, I think, when I'm reading through this, when, I, when I'm trying to, to, to learn and to suffer, the, I think that we know when it can be clearly seen with physical evidence and no one's taking the credit. It's, it's when growth happens. Lives are transformed when spiritual things are happening. And all signs point to Jesus and not the church or a person. It's only him. That's it. The righteous. The righteous are like a tree planted by the stream. But a tree knows it can't survive without water. And so here, the psalm makes a little shift when he's writing. He shifts from the righteous and he now moves over to the wicked. If prosperity, which is what it said, if prosperity follows the righteous, the psalm then says, not so for the wicked. That prosperity does not follow them. Now the psalmist gives us 
right here, right next, he gives us an, an agricultural illustration. Now, if Austin Lee was here, because he's going to an ag college right now, I would, this is where I would bring him up and say, could you explain this process to us? I'll have to catch him on the next time he's in town. But see, the psalmist, he goes into an agricultural illustration that says, while the righteous are planted by the water with deep roots, it says the wicked are nothing but chafe that the wind blows away. As chafe is the part of the wheat grain that is, that is thoughtlessly just tossed to the side. That when you're harvesting these things, it, it, it's, it's what's left over. It, it's, it's what's burned or abandoned at harvest time. It has no value. It is considered worthless. There's, there's, no, there's nothing for it. So the idea of chafe isn't just used in the Old Testament. This is not the only time that we actually see this illustration being taught or being brought to the forefront. It was used again in the New Testament when John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. That with great urgency, John the Baptist stood before his own people and he, and he was trying to, to, to penetrate their hearts so that, that, that they knew when the, when the Messiah, they see, because you see, the Jews only thought that the Messiah was going to come to punish the pagans and the oppressors of Israel. But John says, no, no, he's coming to punish the wicked. And listen, brothers and sisters, that includes the Jews. And so as he's standing there and teaching and talking about this, John says that the wicked, regardless of Jew or Gentile, will be chafed, that will, be, that will burn with unquenchable fire. And so the choice, so the choice that's given to you and to me is that it is to be a tree rooted and planted by a never-ending source of life or fall powerless to the wind who will forever push you around. Now, the psalmist closes his psalm by giving us a reality check, by giving us something that we really need to pay attention to. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He writes that when that day comes, the root system of the righteous will be placed to the test and the wicked will not stand, will not be able to even physically stand when God's wrath is displayed during judgment. Whoa, 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 Captain, I thought that God is a God of love. He is. He is a God of love. We sing about it often. However, the church as a whole right now in today's world, especially the Western church, the church over time has chosen to ignore God's wrath because we are living in the dawn of grace. We often mistake grace as soft. I assure you that the creator of the universe who told darkness to become light, who spoke the earth into creation, who told the birds to fly and the lions to run, who just by his word flooded the earth 
destroyed the city of Sodom, and cursed Egypt with deadly plagues, isn't soft. He's not soft. God isn't just holy. He is holiness. He is righteousness. The right to judge is his. And his alone, for he is the creator. It's his right. So where is his love? If this big God is, 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 is full of wrath, where is his love? Well, it can be found in the blood that was spilled at the cross. For the full wrath of God that was waiting for you and for me was instead given to a person who stood in our way, exchanging his death for our life in Christ alone who took on flesh. Fullness of babe and helpless, and fullness of God and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. And here, in the death of Christ, I live. The psalmist writes that the wicked will not be able to stand when the day of judgment is handed out. And so here, verse 6, which is often referred to as the verse that describes the way of the Lord. It takes the first five verses of this song and it gives us the bottom line, the way of the Lord. It says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what is your choice? What is the choice? I mean, that's the point of the song. I mean, it's something I'm sure at one point was sung out, maybe in a, in a worship setting. Maybe it was read by a person leading a prayer time. Or just simply something we refer back to. Or we needed a good reminding that God is bigger than we are. But the point of the psalm is what choice? What do you choose? We have to choose. We have to. To either have deep roots by living water or to be pushed around by the wind buckling at our knees when judgment comes. For he is holy. He is righteous. And he, he sure loves you. 
Because the psalm clearly tells us that through wrath, yes, through anger, sure, but God didn't stop there. That from the very beginning, in the beginning, God looked to his people, his creation, and already knew that a Savior had to come. And so he already put in the plan from the beginning that I'm not going to let them perish alone. And he sent his son, Jesus, to save us. To go and stand in our way. That when wrath and punishment and judgment was coming, that Jesus took that on our behalf. But there is a choice that has to be made. That even as Jesus did that, you believing or not believing doesn't change the fact that he did that. It happened. But the choice is, do you accept it? Or do you leave it at the cross? And so the choice here at the beginning of this year, as I intentionally wanted to write this, is that we, you and I, have to make a choice to follow Jesus or the world. And this church will be a place where we follow Jesus. It will be his truth that we preach. It will be that his, his grace, his love, his truth, his all everything that is preached from here will be from him. And that you and I, including myself, that when we hear the truth spoken, that we receive that from the heaven. Because, and I've said this before, is that truth is not subjective or objective to us. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. There will be a time when each of us, his children, will go and stand before the Father. And the question will be, will you be given the birthright? The right given to the righteous, sharing in everything that the Father has, receiving a double portion of what this earth can provide, or be passed and pushed along with the wind buckling to your knees. And so this morning, the altars are open. And each of us choose to follow Jesus as difficult and as hard as it can be. But today, we choose you. Our church chooses you. And so, Father, I pray to have your way with us. And that, Father, I pray be anybody in this room or anyone that's hearing our voice online that if they do not know you, Lord, 
May you fall on them. May your truth be revealed. The salvation that you've offered at the cross, Lord, be real. This is our prayer. This is our prayer. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.